0: I titled this message—I'm not a good titler of messages, but I, I titled this message The over Often Overlooked Juggernaut. My kids are like, what's a juggernaut? I was like, I'm glad you asked that question. Um, the definition, which isn't up there, is a massive force, campaign, or movement, or object that crushes whatever in its path. That is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The original juggernaut, a force that cannot be stopped. <clears throat> because we have— We have 14 chapters under our belts, tons of studies in this letter, a very long letter. This this chapter is about as long as any of them get, but we're not going to be in that. We'll be through verse 11, but Paul has just explained, tried to create order, tried to Take the fighting down in the church. He's tried to explain to them the gifts uh, that all people in the church have, not just the ones that sometimes get attention, like in their church, the gift of prophecy and the gift of tongues. All of those things. And he comes to almost like closing out the letter, like a lawyer that would give uh, an an opening argument, closing out a case. And so the legal argument, we're going to get right into it, is verses one and two. It says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed it in vain. This is the legal argument. There are so many churches, and I don't, I can't even count how many times I hear people say stuff on YouTube, like, here's a clip from a teaching from this evangelical church, and you're like, gotta be kidding me, they said that out loud that they wanted that to go out into the world as a Christian church, as a church that says that it's Christian. And I don't even know what that means anymore, to be honest with you guys. All I know is, is the difference between the two is somebody following Jesus or loosely evangelical. I, I just don't even know what that means anymore. Um, names have uh, changed over the years. Uh, followers of Christ were called the way for a while because they followed this dude who said he was the way. And so there was a mockery. Um, wearing crosses. Um, some guys have likened it to wearing an electric chair. Like that's not, that's not like a warm fuzzy, but it's so far removed from us that the idea of somebody being crucified, um, we hear about stuff like that in other countries, uh, in the middle East to this day, but in America, it's been a long time since we did something like electric chair, like, or crazy, um, uh, hang, hang, uh, hanging people at sundown and, uh, the old West and stuff for a long time. And so people wear these things that remind them of Christ and they remind them of Jesus. So the deal is Paul started this church. Paul is trying to help these folks understand from a distance, a lot of principles, a lot of like, Hey church, there's some questions you've asked and I need to a- answer those questions honestly. And it's going to sting a little bit for some of you guys And at the same time, trying to restore order in their, what he called meetings, church. Well, this is a meeting. So he says, I want to read it again. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel, which I preached to you when I started the church, which you also received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved. If you hold fast that word, which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, the gospel was preached when he first showed up, that's what Paul came to do. He came to share God's love. He came to share the gospel, the whole gospel, not the, not a piece of it. He says, "You guys received it." If a boss starts a company and interviews people and says, "In order to work here, you must read this mission statement and you must believe in the mission statement, and you have to, we have a con, code of conduct. You have to look, you know, you have to watch this video about how we expect people to act." They have the right to do that. They have the right to ask you to go. Hey like my kids work for Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A's got this kind of thing that they do, you know, right? It's always their pleasure, whatever it is. Hey, thanks for cleaning up my kids' vomit. My pleasure. My pleasure. Not really, but we got to say that. We got to say my pleasure all the time. They beat you to the punch. Sometimes you can't even say my pleasure before they say, "My pleasure." Um, it's my pleasure to give you this hot chicken sandwich, which is loosely healthy, but delicious. My pleasure for your cholesterol. So, you have to buy in. You can't be like, well, I'm really negative and I hate life and I hate people. A, you're not going to get the job, but B, you can't get through out of the, the interview before you see what you're supposed to be, the code of conduct, the way you're supposed to dress, the way you're supposed to carry yourself. So if you take the job, you buy in, you say, I'm all in on that. I, I need this job. I, I kind of like what you guys are about. I agree with, you know, how we treat people and stuff like that. And we don't yell at customers. Um, you know, like we don't throw food at people like a Taco Bell through the drive-thru. When you get mad at people, they throw, they throw the food at you. Um, a little different, those two. He says, you all believed it. You received it. And yet it's, there's something missing here. There's some people talking. Paul doesn't just write stuff just to write stuff and send it by messenger, by horse or whatever, and get it to these people. He, he, he's writing this because God's like, you need to write this. You need to straighten this out. These guys need to hear this, but just like the boss, just like the company, you have the ability to leave. Just like a church, you can leave if you want to leave. If you don't buy in, if you don't, if you're like, no, I'm not about that. I don't believe that all the way. You have the right to leave. Just like you have the right to say, I don't accept this position. Okay. That's, that's your job or that's your right to do because you all accepted it and you stood on its foundation as your gospel. And we started the church You know, when you build a building and you start with a footer, you start with a pad, a concrete pad, you're going to build the building on top of it. It's taller than the earth around it. That was the the foundation was the full gospel. And you're like, okay, we get that. But what is, what are you really talking about? He says in verse three, for I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. Yes, we understand that Paul and that he was buried and that he rose again. Third day, according to the scriptures. Now, to a lot of people, we've heard it so much, it's like, well, of course. It makes them, that's a make sense sentence. We, you know, we've all been to Easter services. We've all been to Good Friday services. It's the sacred good news. But it's important to Paul to reiterate that the foundation of the gospel is not that Jesus died. So if a human being dies and gets crucified, that's a horrible thing. But what? Well, if he stayed dead, that would have been a huge problem for us, right? There is no gospel. There is no, quote, good news without Jesus paying the price and having the Holy Spirit resurrect him because death could not keep somebody who was perfect. God, Jesus allowed himself. He gave himself up. God Almighty gave himself up for for my sin and your sin and the world's sin. He allowed himself to be put in that position. He did not react when people did horrible stuff to him when they beat him when they mocked him when they said hey why don't you get off that cross if you really are the guy you say you are Ooh, that really flares that flares me when people are like if you're doing something for someone's benefit and they're mocking you for it and you're still like "Uh, i wouldn't mock me like i'm doing this for you but you don't see it and that's the foolishness of humanity it's not that he died everyone will die it's that he died and he rose. Again, the resurrection is the juggernaut. The resurrection is the force that cannot be stopped. The resurrection is why we baptize people. It's why we preach that. I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we put somebody underwater and we take them back up because it signifies what happened to Christ's Spirit, what happened to his body. And so a lot of people go, yeah, 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 that's a tenet of the, of the faith. I know that. I understand all that, Dan. But what's you know, why are you saying all this and why are you saying it so emphatically? He says in verse 5, And that he was seen by Cephas, by, by Peter, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen over by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. Now, I've read this before. You guys, many of you guys have read this before. When you think about what Paul's saying here, this is about 52, 53 AD. There's people who will fight on a hill for 51. There's people who will fight on a hill for 55. We're talking about two decades past Christ. We're not talking about 100 years. If you knew that you could talk to somebody. Now, once again, Paul's going to get into his experience with the Lord, which was not a follower of Christ while he was doing his earthly ministry, which he very much is laments and is sad about. But first seen by Peter, the denier, the one that he wanted to restore, then seen by the other disciples, then over 500 people out of tens of thousands of people that had been touring with Jesus's miracle uh, working tour for three years. Uh, In and out of the feeding of the 5,000, going into this village, going into that village. John says, you guys saw a snapshot. If you guys had any clue what he accomplished in three years, the the world's books couldn't contain them. So there's so much more. But we know of tens of thousands because we know how many people uh, approached him after he fed the 5,000. They hunted him down. Now, a lot of times for a free meal, people will do a lot of stuff for a free meal. Download 1,500 apps and delete them the next day just to get a cheeseburger the next day. That's the world we live in right now. I'm serious. But I'm talking about like <clears throat> the kind of meal that sustains with a teaching, with how Jesus taught, as, as it's been said many times, as somebody with real authority. Jesus blew people away with his teachings. And yet when he said what he said right before he left, eat of my flesh, drink of my blood. Oh, that's a hard statement. Mm, that's That stings a little, Jesus. That's a little too weird. That's a little too uh, intolerant. Okay, so what are you going to do about it? Well, we're going to leave. Or we're just going to go over here because you're not doing any more of those feeding frenzies. We're going to, it looks like you're going to Jerusalem and uh, the crowd has thinned out and we're not going to, we're not going to follow anymore. By the time that Jesus was resurrected from the dead on paper, it looks like less than 600 people are real followers here. Okay. We're talking now about billions of people who have come to know the Lord since Jesus resurrected from the dead from the year 32, 33, 34 to present. Billions of people. From 500 people plus that saw Jesus for a quick period of time, many of these people, Paul says, are still alive. You could, if you really, really wanted to, if you really doubted, in any way, shape, or form, you can go find some of these people. Some are dead, of course, because when you have hundreds of people and 20 years pass, odds are they won't all be alive but some have slept, he said. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. James, the half-brother of Jesus, likely converted, history tells us, after he saw Jesus arisen from the grave. Here he talks about being born out of due time. I love this. Then last, um, then last of all, he was seen by me also as by one born out of due time. It's an interesting, uh, that's an interesting term that Paul puts on that. But I love that in in Paul, as he closes out this letter, you'll know why, but everything about Paul was more hardcore than you'd say Peter. I believe this is just me speculatory. If Paul and Peter were were reversed, if you had the kind of guy that Paul is, I believe Paul's the guy that would have stood through the whole thing, through the arrest, the illegal arrest, the illegal trial, all that stuff. I believe Paul would have been there. That's just me. Peter was kind of like this, eh, there was a little bit of fair weather in him, which a lot of human beings can, can, can relate with. And I believe that God gives us people we can relate with, with these, with these, some of these stories. But one of the things that Paul, and he'll get into it in a second, Paul wanted what was right for Yahweh, what was right for God, more than anybody. Paul's prosecution of the church, Paul's persecution of the church, Paul allowing Stephen to be killed, holding the coats of the guys that are going to go do the dirty work basically authorizing it, and then asking for a warrant to go chase people down in Damascus. Him doing that means that he cared so much. He goes, these people are a threat to Yahweh. These people are, they're hurting the cause. Judaism is everything. God gave us Judaism. And Paul doesn't know yet. And so he meets Jesus on the road. Jesus blinds him and and likely Wounded him for life in some way, shape, or form. There's speculation as to what Paul's thorn or thorns were. However, when you see how hardcore he was, you look at his past and it makes a little bit of sense why he says that. Verse 9 For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Now, Paul, calling himself the worst or the not more the one not worthy to be called an apostle or in Romans calling himself the chief of sinners. I don't believe that it's a false sense of humility. I think he's being super straight. I think Paul's past just absolutely crushed him. I think that he wanted to be on the right side his whole life. Everything about him was like righteousness, justice, everything that needs to be in line with, with perfect Judaism. And then all of a sudden, Jesus just changes everything, literally changes everything and says, this is the new covenant. My blood, my sacrifice, my body is the new covenant. That's why we celebrate it. That's why we go through the, the I mean, in the text, every single first Sunday when we do um, the Lord's Supper. But I think Paul, like everything about him was the most hardcore person you're ever going to meet. And he missed it, but he missed it badly. And he missed it to the point where people lost their lives. And so that's why he says, I'm an apostle, but I'm the least. Now, I don't know what some of the apostles did. There is not a whole lot on a few of these apostles. It is very possible they did not have a huge footprint. When you look at the New Testament, and you look at the books, and you look at the theology books that people quote, outside of the Gospels, it's mostly Paul. That's where people... When they're quoting theology, when they're quoting what we need to be doing, when they're quoting quoting church order and church constitutions and whatnot, it's Paul or a disciple of Paul, almost always. And so Paul's like, I'm the least of these guys for one reason, because I persecuted Jesus' church. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Now, before Paul gets out there into Braggart's town, <clears throat> and, and, and when you first read it, you're like, whoa. So the apostles are slackers. That's what I'm reading when I'm reading this until the very next sentence. Imagine Paul was perfect all the way. All, I mean, nobody's perfect. But imagine Paul's track record post-conversion was his track record pre-conversion. I and many other people think that maybe he would struggle with a little bit of Hey, Peter, you guys are doing almost nothing in Jerusalem. I have already toured the world that we know of four times, and I have already started umpteen churches and and we are seeing all of the progress from basically one out of twelve guys, but you got this heavy, heavy, heavy heart you've got this like it, it's sort of like the the syndrome of the, the, the little puppy that like, I got a really little dog and I've got a few big, big dogs and the little dog really believes he's four pounds full grown. He really believes that he can take my daughter's 80 pound Doberman, which is made of only muscle. And every once in a while, the Doberman flies over the courtyard, just flies over like jumps a four foot fence. And there's this little yesterday, this little dog, Charlie, my dog, my, my wife's new son, um, the four pound Charlie, Like he, he came in and this dog looks at him like, I'll take you on. And it's everything in the Doberman to be like, I know what would happen to the family. If I took you out, it would take 15 milliseconds. There's, there's a little bit of that syndrome. Like, man, if I was just like, if I was just a little more on time, or if I was, if I had the opportunity, I would have blown these guys all out of the water. And in fact, it fueled Paul, like, when you, when you know what, some people say this a lot nowadays, but you will never achieve your spiritual growth until you understand the depth of God's love for you. I've heard it a hundred times. I do believe that to some degree. I do believe that a lot of us don't really know how much we're loved. We don't feel it in, in the ways, there's a lot of outside sources that knock us down. There's a lot of outside sources that hurt us all day long. And Christ is the only one that's like, I'll never leave you. I'll never hurt you. I'll never forsake you. And Paul knows that. I mean, think of how much he toured and a lot of times by himself, how much Paul in prison was, you know, left to his own thoughts with no phone to distract him. And you have to know that that relationship, like a guy that has this much impact, he really knows it, but he can't get past like, but God, why did you put me in position why didn't you let me be born a few years before? Why didn't you let me walk with you? Like, how come I couldn't have been born in a different place and sort of been like Peter, the, the, the clumsy fisherman, and, and you would have found me? Because then I wouldn't have this, like, I don't want this on my, on my conscience. I don't want this in my, in my past. And, and God used that. I don't understand that all, that the bad pasts, how they fuel, God does it. It's, he makes beauty out of ashes and they are ashes, make no mistake. But when you're excited about something, like, let's say it's a movement. Let's say it's like a, like a company that somebody introduces you to a company and somebody else, somebody else, uh, says, I don't know, maybe it's one of those home meetings where people invite you and, and they tell you to join this company. And you're like, oh no, no, that one's, that one's awful. That one's the enemy. Um, I'm, I'm against that. And then all of a sudden, the place that you're, the company you're working for ends up being fraudulent, and the company that you were introduced to becomes Amazon. Like, you change your tune, and you might even invest in it. It's a little bit like that with Paul. Like, yes, Judaism had merit. Yes, it brought us to the the, the crucifixion. Judaism brought the deliverer through Judaism, that Jesus had to go through it, and he had to live that law perfectly, because that was God's requirement. Sin can be paid for by a sacrifice, but it's got to be a perfect one, and it's got to be a human one. Like when you, when you used to be against that, and now that's the thing, there's something about, especially if you persecuted it and mocked it, there's something about when you join it, you've got a lot more fire in your belly than maybe the people that were like, hey, I've always been around it. Like, like John, I've, always, I've been with Jesus since I was like 15 years old, and now John's, you know, pastoring a church and he's 40-something and he's in flow, and, and maybe Paul's like, hey, you could be doing more, like me. And then as you say that, you're like, ooh, pride. Ooh, I was, he was around when I authorized Stephen to get killed. And so it, it's, like, it's like a check, in a sense. But Paul is trying to get them to understand, I was there, I got the message. The message is the resurrection. The message is the gospel. Yes, Jesus died, but he resurrected so that I could do this so that I could, by the grace of God, I am what I am. I'm not, by the grace of God, the greatest prosecutor of the church or the best member of the Sanhedrin or the fact that I know the Old Testament word for word and I could write it out on a scroll. Pretty impressive. Paul could do that. Maybe the smartest one of all of them, his, his mentor said. He said, I labored more abundantly than all of them, yet I, excuse me, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. And he closes it out by saying this, therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed what's going to, and it's going to set up the rest of this chapter, this whole thing, but what you guys believe, I laid it down. It's never changed guys. What doesn't change in this culture? Stuff changes hourly, minutely, literally you get tickers. If you invest money, you can, you can see what your stock's doing by the second it's changing by the second up down who knows volatile world's volatile but people who went to this church they knew what paul was about and they knew what he was trying to say and he's trying to get them to understand the resurrection of jesus christ is the foundation and all the rest of this stuff some of it's worth fighting for some of it you got to get rid of some of it you just got to let it go there's so much uh, fighting. There's so much arguing. There's so much, Oh, well they do. Have you, have you heard this? They endorse this candidate or this church, or have you heard that this church now they sell, uh, uh, energy drinks in their coffee shop and there's, there's taurine and weird stuff in there and the children are all crazy. And okay, listen, I'm not trying to shove synthetic caffeine down kids throats from the pulpit, but I'm also like, I I get it. Like I get it. There coffee shops are there's three coffee shops next door to each other on Speedway, not a half mile from here. Three coffee shops next door to each other. I think we like coffee. I think we get it. I think it's okay. I think if if somebody sells a Red Bull, I don't know that we should throw them out of the church. I don't know. Just me. But to close it out, he's saying there's guys, there's no good news without the resurrection. There's no gospel without the resurrection. People oftentimes say things like, Hey, Jesus saves, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Go have a good week. Why do I need somebody who saves? Oh, because you're destined for hell. Oh, because you're desperately wicked. Oh, because Romans says nobody chooses God. No, not one. Not Paul, the all-star of the New Testament. By I mean, just I'm just an outside commentator, but when I read it, I'm like, wow, that guy did a lot. Wow, that guy was fueled by the Holy Spirit like no other. And yet he would say, hey, it was all God. You, you know, hey, it was, it was not I. But it was a grace of God. God had grace on me. Why he did, I don't know. But Jesus dying on the cross in and of itself is not good news. Jesus being killed was not good news. The good news, to quote the great philosopher Phil Wickham, Friday's good because Sunday's coming. <laughs> it's not good by itself. Killing God's son wasn't good. It was unfortunately God's idea, and it was unfortunately the only way to save humanity but Friday's good because Sunday's coming. Amen to that. Secondly, churches can be about so many other things these days. I don't know what their church was into. Their church was into some bad stuff. Clearly, if you read this letter, there was some real bad stuff, but there's churches that are all about like, well, we're all about service projects and we're all about building homes for the homeless. Awesome. That's so great. Is that the number one thing you meet about? Is that the only thing like on Sunday morning, do you guys talk about more work projects? because that just sounds like a philanthropist organization. That's awesome. And we need people to help people in this culture, in, in a poor town like Tucson. We need that. But what we really need to know is where we're going to spend eternity. That's what we really need to know. And, and I'm not knocking churches that are social justice or, or that, that try to advocate for those who have no voice. I'm not trying to knock that. I'm just saying that the good news of the gospel should be the foundation of any church that says they're an actual Christian church. That's what it has to be. From there, the ministries that go out, that's awesome. And you can't mock another church who's like, oh, well, you don't have a choir ministry. Are you guys serious? You don't have a choir? You don't have robes? You don't have people behind you singing while you're preaching? No, we don't. But I I don't see that in Paul's, you know, in Acts. I don't see the choir being behind the pastors that we're teaching. It's awesome if you have that. But there's so many things we can take a, like die on the hill and take a stand for and you know, we're all about this and we're all about that. But if they're not about the gospel, like where's the help? Um, I was I was getting tires the other day and um, my car died in the parking lot of the tire place. So I had to go inside and tell the guy, hey, by the way, you're gonna have to jump it to get it in. So I'm on the phone with somebody and I walk down the street and the you know they text you, hey, your phone, your car's gonna be ready in an hour and a half. I'm like, okay, I'll walk down and try and get some coffee at Einstein's. And I... Don't judge. Just kidding. I didn't say Red Bull. Um, and they didn't even have the coffee that I wanted, so I left. So I come back, and I'm standing on the sidewalk. And this woman, who apparently was behind me, I didn't, I wasn't talking. I was talking, it was super short, because I'd already been checked in online. And she goes, hey, I, I kind of heard what happened to you. And I was like, what? I don't even know what happened to me, because I didn't tell the guy what happened to me. And she she proceeds to tell me a story about a quasi-date she had just gone on, and it was hard to sift through the non-F words, okay? I don't know her from a hole in the wall, and she's talking to me about all this, I mean, crazy stuff. turns out we're from very close to where uh, we grew up, uh, like less than 20 miles from each other. Um, She's like, yeah, my uh, my dad was a, like, sort of mafia-oriented and tells me her life story, and I'm like, I can't believe you're alive based on the things you're telling me. And so she's like, I'm just listening and she's 20 minutes into this conversation I'm like wow this is like you there's no tv more entertaining than what this woman's telling me about her life the trauma is off the charts and she goes you seem like such a calm guy you just seem like such a like a like a family guy and all that stuff and she goes so what's the what's the she goes what are you blue collar white collar I, I go I'm a pastor I don't wear a collar I go so I don't know which collar it would be but I know some pastors wear collars but I don't know what collar I am she goes oh pastor she goes, what church? And I go, Calvary Midtown. She goes, oh, I know it, I know it. I go, maybe you know the big one. I don't know that you know ours, but you know the big one because um, there's five in town at least. And so she goes, well, what would you say to me? Like I wouldn't fit into a place like that, and I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be welcomed or, or whatever. I go, I go, it's only about the gospel. I go, it's about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's all it's about. I go, I'm not a religious person. I go. You know, religion, that word, you can go, we could teach on what that word even means anymore. But I said, it's about Jesus. That's it. I go, she's like, I I struggle to pray and I struggle. I mean, the things I could go on. It's how she was standing there. I don't even understand. I mean, just from what had happened the other night, but her life of 60 something years. And it was like the gospel. I go, that's the only thing that matters. The rest of it doesn't matter at all. I mean, she's got... A lot going on in life right now. But that was, that's what Paul's trying to say is forget all the shenanigans, forget Satan is going to ornamental, like ornament, uh, putting ornaments on a tree, uh, all the the tinsel and the lights and the, there's so much going on in your head, guys. If you, if you live in America, like it's very hard unless you live in a cave, literal cave and you don't have internet, it's tough to not be bombarded with info and, and people's to-do lists and expectations and all that. But if you forget anything, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that's what you start with when you start your day. That's what you start with every day. Paul was trying to rally these folks around the main thing, to realign them. The letter touches on so many things, so many issues, but the gospel is the good news because Jesus died and rose again. And that is why you and I can have real freedom. I don't know what it was. I didn't say much to this lady. I don't know what it was. She saw something, and it's like, that's what you see. You see God's life, spirit of God's life. You don't see me. You don't see my good or my bad. You see, if you see something that's comfortable to talk to or whatever, that's what it is. It's the gospel preached. He said, I preached it to you at the beginning. I preached it to you when I first got there, and I continue. It's the same thing, and it will never change. Understand it will never change. All right, let's pray. way over again. Uh, Father God, we thank you. Uh, for time to uh, not only consider this Lord but but hopefully to um, just have it reiterated to our hearts. Um, no matter what we're struggling with, no matter what um, the world has thrown at us, um, God that you died for our bad stuff. you died for all the things that I've ever done or will do and that you paid that price, Lord. So the least we can do is follow you. The least we can do is say, hey, I'm yours. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen.